Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. It's extra special. It's the, where I get to I get to be like Frank for a few seconds and say, today I'm joined by... <laughs> it's me, Matt Newman. I thought Hello, you were going to say my name, so I paused. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Hi, Matt? everyone. Oh, good, good. It is, uh, it is a beautiful, snowy day in Minnesota, and by that I mean it's all white outside. Yikes. It's a common, nice. common experience. Spoilers for the fifth cycle, the <laughs> snow cycle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, once it snows here, it basically never goes away. <laughs> <laughs> so not, not the ideal surroundings to be discussing this luscious, green, sweaty jungle adventure, I guess. Yeah, right? Well, it gives me something to look at that's uh, nicer than outside. (laughs) Nice. Very nice. So, listener, you can probably guess what this kind of episode is from the title, from the fact that we have Matt on the line. We're really lucky to be able to talk to you again, Matt, about the cycle that's just wrapped up, The Forgotten Age. Listeners, if you haven't played it yet, go and play it, because we're going to be talking about the cycle in detail and it would be a real shame to spoil any of the story beats or things like that for you so yeah so matt let's just jump in shall we what were your key aims with this cycle i've said this before but you know i kind of want all of the different campaigns to feel differently so i think the the core of this campaign really was making it feel like a grand adventure you know um, mm-hmm. Like you were gonna, you were gonna be trekking across a long distance. It was going to take a long time. Not, you know, not in in uh, not out of game, but like in character, it was gonna take a long time, span you know many months essentially. And um, mm. I kind of wanted to capture the same feeling that uh, that like Indiana Jones kind of adventure, but there's a horror tinge to it. I wanted to uh, capture that sort of mood. I think I think you did, yeah. I was. I've, it's prompted about fifteen other questions in my head, but we'll maybe we'll maybe say normally in these episodes we'll start with player cards and then we'll move on to scenario stuff. But sure. Yeah. yeah. I, I I was really struck about time though that I was thinking about Dunwich recently and that the the final scenarios of Dunwich all take place essentially on the same night. Yeah. Yeah. Same night. Sort of. You know. You wake up the next morning and people have gone missing and then that's blood on the altar through to the end in one rush and this was very different from that yeah and 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 in dunwich also the events that take place in arkham uh the first three scenarios all take place in one night as well yeah 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 that's very true yeah i I always think like after you've done the box it would be nice to take a break then but no your your characters are straight off to the museum right yeah well you know time is of the essence when you know that people are after a certain book (laughs) Yeah. Mm, yeah 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 Let's follow this thread a little bit. Were there then mechanical things that you were looking at to try and give a sense of time, duration, things like that? I think uh, to to a certain extent, the exploration mechanic, yeah. Like if if it had just been like if you look at, for example, Untamed Wilds and you think if it had just been a big sprawling map of all of the possible jungle locations that are in the exploration deck and you just you know mm. travel to them, it would feel a lot quicker and it would kind of feel like a smaller area to cover. Um, but because those locations are in the deck, and because you have to spend an action to go find them, and you might fail, and all of that that comes with the exploration, 
I think it gives a, a greater sense of uh, scale and and time investment. Yeah, and trial and error, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which was kind of the it's kind of the point of that mechanic. Yeah, we we should dive into the, the exploration mechanic a bit more because it was one of the key things in the cycle. But did, did you want to look at some player cards first, Frank, or? Yeah, let's let's do that before we get okay. get dragged away. I, I'm, you know, as as a first looker, I like to talk about the player cards at least briefly to put you on the spot, Matt. Mm-hmm. Are there any player cards in this cycle that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, yeah, I think I, I mean, I could go down the list and name a whole lot of cards, but I think the main one that I want to talk about is the the seal cards. Um, mm, I'm really happy yeah. with how that that mechanic came out because that's. That's sort of a mechanic that I've wanted to do ever since the core set, right? Like, when we were envisioning the Chaos Bag and how the tokens would work, one of the cool factors was, oh, and then we could have cards that, like, take tokens out of the bag or put more tokens into the bag or do things with the tokens, you know? Mm. It was sort of one of the proving points of why the bag is cool. And, you know, why don't you just do dice? Well, here's why, you know, because we can do stuff like this. Yeah. So it's something that we've wanted to do for a while, but we also knew playing with a fundamental aspect of the game in that way is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and whenever you're whenever you're doing a dangerous mechanic like that, you designers tend to sort of scale it back, and sometimes they're too weak as a result because they don't want to go too far. And I was worried that that was going to be the case. And also with seal, it's something that's it's like an invisible benefit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it, I do it, know it, what you mean. You yeah. need to, to have a, a picture of the bag in your head and, and how taking out certain tokens yeah. manipulates the... the, the it, it's similar to the way Jim works for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim's got quite a hidden benefit to his ability, but the more you play and the more you learn the stats, the better you can understand that and the better it seems. Yeah, it's it's like if you seal you know, the skull token, you, you don't actually know in the alternate universe where you didn't seal the skull token, how bad that would have been. So, you know, I was, I was worried about these different facets, but in the end, I think it turned out really, really good. It, it's not too crazy strong, but it's also not, it's still exciting that people want to play it. I've been playing seal Norman recently mm-hmm. and yeah, it's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> I've been very obnoxious and saying things like, I just helped you pass that test to other people <laughs> like when no, I no haven't committed what. anything, but I have seal tokens. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, that's the kind of thing like a curmudgeonly Norman would say, I imagine. <laughs> so uh, have you seen people doing these full on combo decks, Matt, where they, they use something like Olive McBride as well and, and they seal away all the tokens and Oh sure. Like with 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 Matteo trying to draw the elder sign every turn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the hidden benefits of sealing too. Uh I, I especially like with Father Matteo where um Father Matteo's ability really is that he just has the best elder sign ability in the game. Um yeah. like that's like one of kind of like one of the core tenets of his ability and or like one of his core strengths, I guess. And every token that you seal in addition to getting that token out of the bag, it makes the elder sign more common. Just, you know, raises yeah. that percentage up by a little bit. So if you seal enough tokens, the elder sign becomes, you know, quite a bit more common. Because, yeah, Matteo actually, he plays with that in an interesting way where you, you generally you look at the tokens as pass or fail. Mm-hmm. But then the, the special tokens have an, an additional negative effect. But with Matteo, his elder sign token is way better than just a pass. Oh yeah, it's it's a it's a free action, um, at least a free action. If you're taking a card and resource, that's that's two actions. Yeah, 
Yeah, and his the strength of him kind of eluded me when I first started playing. But as I've played with more and used more of the seal tokens, it's become more apparent. Yeah, and uh, Olive too uh, works really well in conjunction with him. I think in general the Mystic cards in this cycle are very cohesive. Mm-hmm. They're like a whole package, you know. You could certainly like build a deck. You you throw in the stones, the incantation, you know, a few of the other cards as well, and suddenly you've you've got a big combo engine built up there, and and, and a Mystic deck where all the cards are pulling in the same direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It felt like we were discovering a whole new side to Mystics, which obviously as you said, you had in mind from the beginning of the game, Mm -hmm. but it was this whole new kind of slowly fleshed out aspect to what they do, how they interact with the Chaos Bag that was really enjoyable to discover. What was the state of the other factions going into this cycle? And did you have particular goals of, you know, areas you wanted to fill out in terms of what different factions could do? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so obviously Seal Seal was like the, um, the big new thing, uh, on the player card end but you know i wanted that to be mystic only so i kind of focused on different things for the other factions uh i want to say for seekers um making secrets uh sort of more important was definitely mm-hmm. part of it um and you can see that with the the Nakodak manuscripts the um feed the mind has secrets on it the ancient stone has secrets on it and then of course truth from fiction uh, adds secrets to an asset so there's a, a series of cards there that all use secrets because before it was kind of like ammo charges and supplies those are like the three uses yeah and I, I wanted to make secrets more important and then um from there basically just continuing to help them do what they do you know yeah lots of relics just scattered all across the entirety of the of the classes I think with the exception of Guardian, everyone gets a relic. No, that's not true. There's a bunch of neutral relics. But you get the point. There's a lot of relics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've already got the armor, haven't they? The armor of Arden. Yes, that's true. That is a, a relic. relic. Yeah. yeah. But that just that's just mainly to kind of hit the theme of the Forgotten Age of like, you know, you're delving into ancient ruins. Got to find some cool relics, right? Absolutely, and it makes it so fun to play as Ursula because you have this really disparate card pool that you can be yeah, and drawing not, upon. For the relics, it's, it's not like you're going to build like the all-relic deck because they all combo together or anything like that. It's more just that you have a toolbox of different relics that you can you know, draw on if you want to. Mm. Well, when I played Shattered uh, Eons this week, I, I played Ellie early on in the game and I drew... In, in the nine cards, there was four good relics in there. And I, it was that idea of I had to think about which one was the best one for the situation I'm in. Uh, just, you know, calling Ellie up and asking her to pack the right thing from the case at the museum. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I guess for the rest of the classes, it's kind of a smattering of different things. For Guardians, obviously, you get some some cool new weapons, a couple of really big ones. Yeah. And a bunch of other toolbox sort of cards. And for rogues, similar kind of deal. Survivors have a bunch of new cards that are what I call fail-to-win cards, which I really like. I think Mm -hmm. Live and Learn and Take Heart are two of my favorite cards in the cycle. Take Heart is maybe the strongest card in the cycle as well. (laughs) It's super (laughs) powerful. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to combo all of those effects if you have, like, you have Rabbit's Foot out, you go to fail a test, you take heart, you look what I found, then you live and learn and do it again. 
mm. <laughs> and, and you draw a card from rabbit's foot. Like, you, you can do some crazy combos with that series of cards. We also saw the, the, the feeding into the survivor theme of cards like Cornered and then um, On Your Own. Yeah. To sort of like, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can really do that like lone survivor thing if that's what you're after. Yeah, I, I also wanted to raise up a few investigators, um, like specific ones that I, I didn't see played as often. So there's some really good Wendy cards in this uh, cycle mm-hmm. with the, uh, the cards that you can play from your discard pile. And uh, that sort of thing. The, the, the survivor card, you said that about the mystic cards, that they have that cohesive theme. The mm-hmm. survivor cards really nailed it for me. I, mm. I think cornered together with those improvised cards is really good. Cornered is really good anyway. Yeah, yeah, cornered is just good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a great card. So my friend had been using Pete in this cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it takes a while to wrap your head, head around the fact that it turns every card into an unexpected courage. <laughs> and you can take more like edge case cards it's always kind of been the case in survivor because in pete like an edge case card or a a very situational card can just become food for duke Mm -hmm. Uh, same with wendy you just use it to redraw a test but with cornered as well suddenly all those cards two icons yeah and it 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 combos really well with the three uh the three cards that play from your discard the improvised cards because they don't have icons so yeah. this kind of gives them the icons that they want to have. It's really nice. Really nice. It's been fun to fun to try out with. And maybe a little hint of tarot there as well with Alter Fate, which uh, I think <laughs> beady-eyed players of the game have spotted and been excited I, so about. It's funny that you bring that up because people have, have long suspected that, you know, there's always some kind of card that's like foretelling the next cycle. And um, hmm. that is 100% true. But they also, they, I don't know if everyone has gotten it right every time. So that's interesting. Oh, we'll have to tell you some of Frank's theories when we get off air. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited yeah. to hear. But yeah, Alter Fate is definitely like, I was, I was writing the story for the Circle Undone at that point in time. So I was like, all right, this will be the perfect art brief. <laughs> we also quite enjoyed trying to spot hints of future investigators on player cards mm. so in in carcosa we saw inspiring presence and yep. obviously it's leo on inspiring presence but uh yeah that was a fortuitous one too because at the point in which i designed that one i kind of knew what leo was gonna do so i i, I made sure that it you know worked with him and like comboed with him <laughs> yeah that's, that's i suppose you have to also sort of plant the seeds of car of investigators that we might not see for three or four cycles as well absolutely but you know that they get yeah a particular card or a particular style yeah definitely so actually it, it, we touched on survivors briefly and i think the most unusual character maybe that we've had so far uh is the survivor this cycle who's calvin mm-hmm. I, to me he's almost seems like a challenge character I, I made the comparison a while ago. He's a bit like the deprived in Dark Souls, mm-hmm. where you start just in your underpants with a with a wooden shield. <laughs> I think that that would be if I made an investigator who is just like two 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 with no ability. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. Should try that. But but oh, please you don't. have played City of Archives, though, right, Matt? <laughs> you do you do know that you have made that investigator. <laughs> uh, Calvin is really, really good. Interesting, rather. Mm-hmm. What's been your? What was your thought process behind him? Just throw in a, a complete curveball to the players, or what? 
So I kind of I mentioned this a little bit in an article before I think it was before the Forgotten Age came out where I was talking about Calvin's whole kind of like process, the design process behind him. But, uh, you know, originally I kind of had this idea that Calvin, you know, Calvin's this haunted, cursed figure. Um, He's really he's really like down on his luck more than any other survivor, really, or any anyone else in the entire pool of investigators. So I wanted to represent that in the game with, you know, an ability that he gets stronger, the more things are set against him, right? And Mm. that went through all kinds of different iterations. There was a version that dealt with weaknesses. There was a version that dealt with how many cards were in your threat area at any given moment. He would get stronger. Okay, But for various reasons, none of those really worked perfectly, or at least worked, you know, the way I wanted them to. So eventually I, I landed on this ability, and I, th- I think it works pretty well because there are cards in the pool, a lot of which he has access to, that can you know damage yourself or put horror on yourself, or um, in Survivor, kind of buffer yourself with additional sanity or, or health so that you can't, you know, you don't die as easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, I think it ended up just being a fun sort of... Uh, Maybe maybe challenge mode isn't like the right way to say it, but like a a different sort of playstyle. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think one of the things that strikes me, and I've I've mentioned this to Frank on the podcast before as well. Uh, it's almost the use of trauma as a resource for your character. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you you kind of invest it in your stats as Calvin during the campaign. Uh, yeah, I like the idea that. Uh, Calvin, especially early on in a campaign, he's kind of reckless, right? Like he, you almost don't mind uh, taking trauma, so you're more willing to kind of get yourself into situations that uh, to help out your teammates. Usually, get yourself into situations where you might get defeated in the end, but you'll help the rest of the team. Um, I, I remember in particular playing through a campaign where I played "I'll See You in Hell" no less than three times. You know. Nice. <laughs> We've still got that date in the diary. <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I completely agree. And, and I've really enjoyed seeing how he has been a curveball to how people play mm-hmm. and how the encounter cards that other people sigh when they get, the Calvin player is delighted and he or she is going, Great, I hope I pull a tentacle and take three horror <laughs> on these rotting remains. You know, I'm powering up. And that. I love just that that throws the game on its head. It's been really fun to watch, and and it, I think it's really useful to have different characters who really interact with the elements of the game in in very different ways. Yeah, I mean that's the key factor, right? Is all all the characters should feel different enough that you're you know when you go to play a new one, it feels like you're playing almost like a new game at that point. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about Calvin is that his low base stats allow him to take advantage of certain cards more often than maybe other survivors would. I'm thinking cards like uh, Rise to the Occasion and mm-hmm. all of the all of the cards I mentioned earlier that, you know, if you fail, you get something cool out of it. Um, in the beginning of the game, it, it, it would feel like he's completely useless, but really he's not because survivors have all those ways of turning failure into success. Mm. Yeah, and Against All Odds is just it seems made for Calvin. Yeah, that, yeah, that one for he, sure. His base is always going to be super low, so he's he's always got that opportunity. Yep. I really just to sort of round off on player cards and investigators. I really enjoyed that 
we're now in a mature game. It's been going for two years, so it felt like there was quite a diverse bunch of player cards. And looking at what we've marked down as our favourites, there's really quite a big range in different cards and different styles. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's given you a really good opportunity to just uh, spread your wings a little bit and sort of (laughs) explore the pool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that more. I, I particularly like there's a few thematic type decks that you can play which uh, kind of come together and work well mechanically as well. Yeah. It's always a shame when you've got a, a theme, a theme-heavy concept in some cards and it yeah. doesn't work when you put all the cards in a deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I myself, I, I, I like to build very thematic decks. So when I'm building a card pool, I'll, I'll tend to uh, make the effects kind of combo off of each other. Yeah. Speaking of effects that combo off each other, we should move into the campaign. (laughs) And this was one of the exciting things about this campaign, The Forgotten Age, was that it wasn't, you weren't adding a new rule. We got a bunch of new things. We got vengeance, we got alerts, we got supplies. We've already mentioned explore and talked about, you know, the sort of the trial and error nature of that. How was it approaching a campaign where you're adding this many new details? Yeah, you know, that's actually a really good point that you bring up because I feel like this is definitely on the upper end, if not like the maximum, uh, in terms of how many new mechanics we would add in a campaign. And I, I don't anticipate doing quite this many mechanics, you know, in the future. But uh, I felt justified in that, A, the, the I think all of these were really helpful to setting the tone of the campaign and the, the setting, because the setting is so different from previous campaigns i think it needed to have Mm. um stuff like explore and supplies to really feel like an expedition um Mm -hmm. but also a lot of these mechanics are pretty simple with the exception of explore a lot of them are just kind of taking an earlier mechanic and just putting a new spin on it so like alert is basically just retaliate but for evasion um Mm -hmm. vengeance is basically just victory points but they're bad yeah, and supplies both vengeance and supplies do nothing until another card says what they do, right? Yeah, like there's no rule for what a compass does. It just it's just there, and it's it's almost just like a, an extension of the campaign log entries. I was going to say it's, it's it's a fancy way of saying right in your campaign log you have a compass. It, it's exactly that. Yeah, yeah. So even though there are you know four big headers in the rules. With the exception of Explore, a lot of them, you know, you, you read the first two sentences and you're like, okay, all right, I got it. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think they've all landed well and, and, and given players the kind of experience you were hoping they would? I think so. Uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty happy. I'm very happy with how Alert and Vengeance played out. I think the Vengeance points in particular, people I responded really well to that, where... Now there's all of a sudden, you know, you have this pit viper and normally you would just hack it to pieces, but yeah, all of a sudden now Ping you have it this, with a beat this, uh, this sort of meta element of, ooh, do I really want to kill it? I don't, you know, I don't know. Both, this might come back to haunt me in this scenario, but it also might come back to haunt me later when, uh, you know, mm. Snake Daddy comes out. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're Explorer, on, you're I think Explorer terms, hit all yeah. the beats I wanted it to hit just happens to be that those beats were really punishing, you know, like <laughs> I wanted it to feel like this arduous task that you had to embark on and it did. And as a result, there are definitely a lot of people out there who are like, Oh, explore. 
So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it accomplished the goal that I set out to do. Uh, in, in some, I think it differs on the scenario too. Um, some scenarios I think did explore better than others. So I, I really like it in the first two scenarios, especially. Mm. It, it it feels kind of weird because you're exploring a map that's already so. This is a bit sad, but after I played it the first time, I laid out all the cards and tried to figure right. out what the jungle looks like. Mm-hmm. But I like that that the way the explore works kind of rewards that because yeah. if, yeah. if you remember and you learn the map, you're able to stand in the right place in order to find your way further into the jungle. Yeah, definitely. There, and you can I think almost, there's that sort of meta element to it. Yeah, you can manipulate the explore deck uh, if you're standing in the right place. You'll know that the the successful explore as long as you don't draw a treachery, will be the place you need to go. Yeah. So you've mentioned it then, Matt, that people have, have reacted somewhat negatively to some elements in this <laughs> cycle. So let's let's touch on it. So you're sure. not immune to knowing that, that people have found it hard. Peter and I, we have our own theory about, like, I still think it's a, a point of difference and that people didn't change gears quickly enough to mm-hmm. what was actually a fairly different experience. And it's... Everything you've been saying so far has been talking about wanting to differentiate this campaign and, and things like that. But um, do you think that Forgotten Age is harder than what's gone before? Yeah, I think it probably is. I mean, I, I'm not... <laughs> you, you don't have to, you know, walk on eggshells around me. I I, 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 think, it, I think it definitely ended up harder than... Uh, probably harder than I intended. Uh, there's a lot of factors that play into that. And... Obviously, Explorer is one of them. The supplies are one of them because a lot of the supplies, the way that they're written, it's if you don't have it, it's bad. Sometimes if you mm-hmm. have it, it's good. Yeah. But sometimes if you don't have it, it's just bad. But uh, but also, it's just a matter of um, you know how how the cookie crumbles when it comes to designing the, the quests. You know, I've said this before too, but like our playtesting, as good as it is, and as extensive as it is, and as great as our playtesters are, it only accounts for like 0.1% of the total number of players that are going to be playing the game once they actually get their hands on it, you know? Mm, like yeah. the, two minutes after the scenario comes out, it will have been played by a hundred times as many people as playtested it. Yeah. And that's just the nature of the beast. And this being a, a physical card game, you can't just like, you know, go in and tweak some numbers and patch it. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but would you want to patch it if you could, or do you think actually you're happy with the product as it stands? I don't know. Overall, I think I'm pretty happy with it. But you know, I, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I think there are definitely <laughs> things that I would tweak. I I think that's the true for any cycle, though. You know, if I could go back and do Dunwich over again, I'd probably do some things different too. But uh, overall, like one of the hard tasks as a designer is learning to be happy with what you have. Mm-hmm. Like there's a certain there's a certain point in which you have to let go and say, okay, I've I've done enough I can do, not just for deadlines, obviously that's a factor too, but also, you know, for the sake of my own sanity. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not just yeah. redoing the same card 19 times. So yeah, there, there's, a, there's a happy middle ground there. <laughs> so we need to keep yeah. our eyes peeled for Return to the Forgotten Age at some point <laughs> maybe maybe we'll no see. explore we'll no see. vengeance yeah. <laughs> no i don't i don't think uh like even even if explore and i'm not saying that it did but even if explore was like complete you know catastrophe i, I don't think i'd get rid of it it would just be a matter of tweaking it to the point where 
it, it hits the notes that I want it to hit, and also is fun to play for for the player base. And I think it's I think it's essentially there. You know what I mean? It's just based on the scenario. Some scenarios have trickier explore mechanics than others. And I I enjoy working out how different investigators like to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I'm playing as Finn, if I'm playing Doom of Estlia and there are a lot of willpower tests, I'll set myself up either to just take all of those on the chin as quickly as possible. You know, if there's going to be a crypt chill or something, I don't go and play my expensive asset, my Leo de Luca, and then explore. I yeah. try and hit crypt chill before that's happened. There's something, I, th- I think there's definitely something to be said for an, a, like a mini encounter deck that you can control to a much greater extent than the encounter deck. Oh yeah, so absolutely. I, 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 yeah. I can choose when I want to encounter the cards that are in there mm-hmm. um, and, and, and choose, choose who's, who in the team is going to do it. <laughs> nominate someone else to do yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in fact, yeah. So, so I mean, we designed because my main playthrough and uh, the one that I've just finished has been with Ursula and Pete. But we'd already done the first scenario a few times before we started that. So we deliberately set up so Pete had the map uh, and Ursula would do the exploring because Ursula loves to explore, um, right. and and you know Pete can sort through the encounter cards and and you know stack it so the treacheries aren't coming up. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, one of the things I do really like about the explorer uh, mechanic is the fact that uh, every time you, every time you do it, you're you know, you're risking something. You're venturing out into the unknown, and who knows what you're gonna find. And all the treacheries in the deck are usually very thematic to what you might find. So you're going through the I jungle, the snakes, and then all of a sudden, yeah. yeah, all of a sudden you get bitten by a snake or ants just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> ants, ants! Yeah. Exclamation mark! Yeah. Yeah. Ants! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure I can f- forgive you for ancient evils in the the exploration deck. Oh <laughs> yeah! <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> At least there was only two in the encounter deck. Yeah, yeah. It's for each treachery in the explore deck. There's one less in the encounter deck. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I did. We didn't see any enemies in the explore deck either. So right. There's even that to discover. You know what's behind door two. It's a ghoul. Yeah. I think. I think at one point there was, but we determined that it was too much of a detriment. Like drawing an enemy is usually, depending on the character you're playing, obviously. Uh, but it's it's usually more time consuming to deal with than. A treachery mm-hmm. and since explore was already time consu- like adding time to you know your, your process and just imagining like if you're ursula and you explore and there's a snake now all of a sudden you have that to deal with you have to evade it before you can explore again so yeah, um, yeah. with the exception of the treacheries that like end your turn or something kind of wanted failure with exploring to just be well that sucked let's keep going you know take it on the chin yeah, yeah. keep going yeah. explore again <laughs> And just to add a separate note to this as well, or a sort of a, a contrasting note. So, you know, there was this noise in the community around difficulty and whether or not Forgotten Age was too hard. I was playing on Wednesday night or Thursday night with a friend. He's played all the way through the game so far, but he had a child, fallen behind a bit, and we just played Threads of Fate and Boundary Beyond and did pretty well. He'd never played them before, and we were walking home together and he said to me, you know what? Forgotten Age is the best campaign so far. There's just so much more meat to it. It's so detailed. Nice. I'm loving it. Awesome. Which is, <laughs> but he's not going to rush home and jump on Facebook to post that. Sure. He's sort yeah. of happy to, uh, to just say that's that. That's the nature of the internet, I think, is that yeah, people are yeah. more likely to hop on the internet when they're upset by something than, uh, but, you know, I don't mean that to say that their complaints are invalid because they certainly are. 
I, I think also another another like thing that played into that is my playtesters are some of the best Arkham players around, right? Yeah. Just they're gonna be because that's the kind of people who do playtesting. Yeah. So yeah. for some of these scenarios in particular, I'm not gonna name names, but for some of them in particular, I remember getting feedback that was like, "Yeah, this is too easy." You know, we kind of steamrolled it, so I would make it harder. And I would kind of keep doing yeah. that until it got to the point where they're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, I think the difficulty is on point. And maybe I wasn't, you know, opening my mind to the full sort of player base <laughs> at, at that yeah. moment in time. Yeah. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> Peter and I have been wrestling with this. Like, we don't even have your job as well. But there are the people who are going to play one scenario once and they're going to play once a month with their you know, their significant other or whatever on the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. And there are people who are going to want to play these scenarios again and again and again, try out crazy decks, play on the highest difficulties. Right. And each scenario has to tailor to both of those people and provide an experience that they get something out of. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's not challenge. easy. Yeah, and some of the scenarios are uh, more catered towards the play style of like playing repeatedly, like the Boundary Beyond, for example, because it's a non-binary win condition scenario where you do as best mm -hmm. as you can i think it has to be a little harder than normal in order to promote you to go back and play it over again like oh i only got two last time let me see if i can get three. Oh, i got three let me see if i can get four you know that sort of thing mm. yeah it's the midnight masks situation all over again right yeah except How many can you do yeah. yeah yeah i guess basically so how much of what started on your mood board in terms of just wanting to go on this amazing journey and things like that made it into the finished product you you mentioned and oh in fact sometimes you're not allowed to talk about things that never quite made it in are you right so yeah i can't mention anything yeah. specific <laughs> i i can say overall i think i think all of the the big notes uh were hit i don't, I don't think there's anything like specific like oh i I didn't, I didn't get to get you know this aspect of the campaign and you know like the the three biggest things that we put in were that we wanted to put in were this feeling that you're that you're in the unknown you know like you're not you're <laughs> not in arkham you don't know the layout of the place that you're in so the map isn't laid out before you like that was important to me yeah like i, I don't think we're going to revisit that anytime soon but like when you're out in, in such an unfamiliar territory it just wouldn't make sense to me to show all the locations before you and like how they connect you know what i mean yeah yeah i like that that uh, makes a lot of sense as well in terms of that yeah exploration yeah there's no better word for it yeah and there's other ways to do that obviously like we've done that before in other if you're in a building and there's different rooms and you open that room and now all of a sudden you put two more locations into play that sort of thing but um mm, yeah i wanted yeah. like a cohesive system for doing that and that's that's what turned into exploration so that was that was the one thing the second thing was just yig in general and like get the feeling of yig and like his because he he's very different from other ancient ones in that he is a bit more personal like he if you mess with him he will mess with you right back you know what i mean mm. He he's very present, isn't he, with this the the kind of the retribution that he brings with him. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. interesting to me how how easily manipulated we are as players. As soon as you put <laughs> vengeance on the card and say you record it under a box that says Yig's Fury, everyone instantly is going all out to avoid gaining any more. <laughs> or 
they're oh, going to all out to uh, piss Yig off, <laughs> as as Come I have me. seen some do. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're playing solo, Leo Anderson, you know. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I don't even care. <laughs> what am Who I? Is this what am I allies until take the brunt of this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then the the third one was um, the uh, well, actually a couple. I guess a couple more, but like Nate had this idea of the, the supplies he, he mentioned, like in old choose your own adventure books, they would sometimes give you, you know, a, a pool of uh, sometimes stats, sometimes items. Like you can only, you know, take three of these things with you and what you take with you will affect, you know, the outcome. So we kind of mm-hmm. took that and mm-hmm. ran with it. That's that, that's really what it put me in mind of the, the choose your own adventure books, especially right. the use of provisions. Cause you're always eating provisions in those books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's like you, you don't know what's going to be useful because, like, you could pick something that sounds really useful, and then it's like <laughs> you never ever need to use it. Right. Uh, and yeah. that, it, 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 so that the campaign as a whole, and I, 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 I claim it's influenced all of Arkham Horror. It, it rewards replaying using the knowledge that you've gained when you played it before. Yeah. So absolutely. when you come back to the Forgotten Age, you can look through the 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 list of supplies and be like, right, well, if we want to do this and this, then we better take the torches. Right. Yeah. And um, story-wise, uh, as far as the narrative goes, I I did want it to have that sort of like mid-campaign twist of like, oh, this this plot really isn't as, uh, as cut and dry as I thought it was. You know what I mean? Mm, yes. Yeah. And caring about, I, I hope caring about the, the characters in the plot yes yes i think i think in your design notes you put something about wanting the players to care about the characters yeah yeah definitely another playing buddy i play with we only meet sort of once every three months or whatever we play a couple of scenarios so we met up recently and i said so what do you remember of forgotten age so far and he was like that alejandro guy he's dodgy (laughs) and we'd only we'd only played the first two scenarios like he'd he'd know nothing beyond that yeah but that had stuck in his head as a thing to be wary of this personality that he he didn't know much about this guy but he knew not to trust him and yeah seeing how all of that element comes home to roost at the end it was uh i really enjoyed the finale and and working out where everything fitted in. I, I hope that like there's, and I think that there is because in playtesting this is what we observed. But I, I hope that there's a pretty like close to even split between the people who played the first two scenarios and thought I don't trust this Alejandro fellow. He's you know he's dodgy, and then the people who who say the opposite and they're like no Alejandro seems pretty pretty cool. He's on the level. It's that's Ichitaka lady that I don't trust. I don't know what she's all about. She's she's being all cryptic and enigmatic and mysterious. Like, what is she hiding? So, mm. or, or you know, I don't trust either of them. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say bad news from our groups, Matt, that no one seemed to trust Alejandro in, in any group I was playing with. Yeah, Everyone I think he did away, seem always. to be the, the favorite of the, uh, uh, between the I don't trust them, you know? Yeah, he's a bit <laughs> too keen to get his hands on this relic. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we when we came, we had the choice, we were like, no, no, we'll look after Alejandro. Don't worry. <laughs> it belongs in a museum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I, I mean, I was going to wait and say this when we get to this scenario, but I think it's also so important not to trust Alejandro for what comes up in City of Archives. Mm. Like my understanding of that is, of course, it sort of vindicates your trust 
uh, vindicates your your mistrust because you're like, yes, yeah, see, I knew that guy was dodgy. Right. But also then when you discover the curator and the fact that he's been body swapped, yeah. there's this, for me at least, there was this rush of sympathy where I was like, ah, we weren't even dealing with the proper Alejandro. Yeah, yeah. We were dealing with, <laughs> you know, we were being manipulated. So we should have supported this guy. Yeah. And I said that, and I let's talk. Should we should we go into the scenarios in a little bit more detail? So, listeners, if you've if you've not listened to one of our interviews with Matt before, crazy, go back and listen to them. But maybe you started <laughs> with this cycle, and what we love to do is sort of director's commentary style, you know, behind the curtain notes around each of the scenarios. Um, so we no better place to start than with Untamed Wilds. Peter, you've already mentioned that it was pretty punishing for you. Yeah, very first playthrough of it. I think we'd not necessarily had an easy time, but but we weren't. I felt in order to challenge the group I was with, because they were they were working together really well, you know, just got to knock up that challenge every so often. We decided to go in on hard, and we got pretty comprehensively oh spanked in that first scenario, <laughs> uh, which which was good. It was quite a it was quite an exciting feeling to be like we were really being taxed. Uh, our mm-hmm. brains were being taxed as the best way through it, but at the same time. We could see that, and with another try, we'd be on top of it, or or at least we, you know, trading trading blow for blow with the scenario. Uh, but yeah, I I, I really enjoy Untamed actually. I think it's one of my favourites in the campaign because it really nails that sweaty jungle exploration feel. Mm-hmm. And I also really like where even if you fail, you fail to find the path to the temple, you've still got that way forward as well. It's a classic Arkham scenario. Yeah, yeah. This this uh it's funny you bring that up because this campaign was the hardest one to write the fail text for, I think, because most of the campaigns it's like you're trying to stop something or you're trying to uh accomplish a particular goal and the the next scenario doesn't necessarily hinge on you accomplishing that goal, but in this scenario or in this campaign so many of the scenarios, Untamed Wilds included, are you're trying to get somewhere, mm-hmm. and if you failed to do that, it's like, well, then how does the next scenario even happen? <laughs> <laughs> so it was just it was just one of those things I had to like kind of write around or try to try to figure out how to write that resolution text in a way that makes it work. So for Untamed Wilds, it was it's it's not that you didn't find the way; it's that you had to like wait for more supplies or like reinforcements or whatever. Mm. It's it's the classic GM conundrum, isn't it? Yeah, a little if bit. If you yeah. really want them to go into a house and that everyone, all the players, go like, "Let's go back. We don't need to go in there." Yeah. yeah sort of how do you, how do you nudge them in there? The classic GM rule is you never let them try something where if they fail it, you can't progress the plot. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, so, I, so you... I did the classic foible basically. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Untamed Wilds, uh, the difficulty, I think I did intend for these first two scenarios to feel um, harder than than like your average opening scenarios. And I think mainly, maybe I'm just biased, but mainly I think it's because I really like the story beat of these investigators got their, you know, got their butts handed to them. And, you mm-hmm. know, either they didn't make it back at all. Or they made it back, and they have so much trauma that you, the player, are like, you know what? I'm retiring these investigators. <laughs> I'm gonna pick a new group to pick it up from here. I don't know. I just like that that uh, that version of the of the plot, like that that path. And I'm not saying that that's what you should do, because I think it's also perfectly valid to just keep going with those investigators, especially if you 
ended up doing well. But um, I don't know. I, I kind of just wanted that the expedition to feel like, like, oh, we're lucky we made it back at all, you know? I'm sure it feeds into the, the conversations around it being a, a difficult campaign as oh, well yeah, because some of the difficulty is really front-loaded. Yeah, yeah. And you're, you're getting all of this trauma and obviously you know we've talked before like if you want trauma to matter you have to give it out like it can't be a thing that you can then easily avoid yeah yeah and that's at the point in the campaign where you have zero experience so that just compounds the the difficulty it's also sure. that the sense of it, it built a sense of dread when you go back to the jungle later as well yeah 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 actually that it, it's good that you brought that up because that was one of my that was one of my notes for heart of the elders was when you get back to that jungle i wanted the player to to think oh uh, I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. Can I not? <laughs> not like me. My reaction was like, well, if I got through the jungle on zero XP, right. I can definitely get through it now on eight XP <laughs> yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like a piddling amount I'm on <laughs> by that point. And I think the other thing, and we'll, we'll seg into talking about scenario two. The other thing mm-hmm. that, that struck me about the first two is they feel, uh, although they're, they're different, they feel like two parts of the same the same experience so yeah you go through the jungle yeah. find the temple then you go through the temple and i thought that was a really neat way of of tying up the uh the deluxe box i thought that worked yeah. really well I, th- I think these two scenarios more than any other deluxe box are the most like self-contained deluxe box where mm-hmm. you, yeah. you could you could almost play through the forgotten age deluxe box as like a two-parter if you wanted to you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah I noticed that with of all of the encounter cards that came in the deluxe, there was only one encounter set that wasn't used in these first two scenarios. It's one of mm-hmm. the weird things that I take note of, how many <laughs> scenario <laughs> cards and uh, encounter cards don't get used. But that sense that like all of the resources in that box you were making use of and and yeah, we weren't to expect for later temple scenarios for there to be hugely different cards because you we'd already seen like Illoman and entombed and things like that and you got a sense of what that was going to be like and straight away people figured out that there was a missing location on that jungle oh yeah, encounter yeah. set. yep and mm, people there yeah. the map saying oh hang on I, I got a lot of emails from people thinking uh hey, is this a mistake you know like what is there a location <laughs> missing from my pack and i'm like no nope, no nothing missing it's totally <laughs> totally intentional and uh, I, th- I think keen players also noticed that, you know, those locations were not part of the Untamed Wilds encounter set. They were part of their own rainforest encounter set. And what did that mean? You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah. and theoretically, you could remember the layout, even if you were just playing it through blind. Uh, you'd remember the layout from the first one. Mm-hmm. And that gives you an advantage when you go back to the jungle that you, yeah. you remember yeah. what the layout is. You'd hope that everyone can work out that rope bridge is over river canyon and not sort of underneath it as well right <laughs> that's like <laughs> that's i have to say that's like probably my favorite location in that scenario because yeah, you 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 can <laughs> you can jump off can't you effectively <laughs> it's it's like the the, the balcony in the uh, curtain call. In, the, in the theater yeah. yeah 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 but the thing as well that like it makes me grit my teeth and sort of yell, damn you, Matt Newman, is that I know that River Canyon is the best connected location in the jungle. Mm-hmm. So then if I find the rope bridge, I'm like, oh, do I just throw myself off the bridge to get to the better place? to? Ex-? You know, I'm standing up on the bridge, looking down, going, 
there's so many places down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's funny. Many, many an investigator has leapt off the bridge to find <laughs> the the River Canyon. Okay, Doom of Estley. I mean, this to me, I I think that this is my favorite scenario in the deluxe, and one of the strongest scenarios of the campaign. the The sense of dread is really palpable i thought and it really made me think of indiana jones and you know rolling boulders and things like that (laughs) awesome you know what's the story behind doom staying on locations in this scenario yeah so i I think uh when i first thought of that it wasn't really like a narrative consideration it was more just uh how can i how can i do a doom scenario in a different way Mm. and when i say a doom scenario i mean we often build the encounter deck to accomplish like a particular goal so, like, some encounter decks just want to kill you. Some encounter decks just want to generate doom. It, it's kind of like the difference mm-hmm. between, like, Black Star's Rise and, you know, um, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you get the idea. Yeah. So this this was one of those scenarios where uh, I wanted the primary, like, victory condition of the encounter deck to be you ran out of time. So I wanted there to be a lot of doom generation, but I didn't want it to just be doom going on the agenda. Yeah, and I didn't want it to be doom on enemies because that kind of represents like a cult cultists casting a spell, and that's not really like what's yeah. going on here. So I thought, oh, doom on locations—that'd be cool. We've never done that before, and then we can do all kinds of triggers of like after doom is placed on this location or while there's doom on this location, that that sort of thing. Yeah, and then as we were playing it, people were commenting, "Oh, you know what? I I really like." that this makes it feel like the locations have some sort of animus, like the the locations resent us for being here mm, yeah, and, yeah and i in my head i was like yes that was intentional sure <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of worked out like perfectly like that's that's actually like the tone that uh that fits that scenario really well even though that wasn't necessarily like my original goal it ended up being like the perfect you know consideration oh and if you if you step out of the the temple and come back in again you have to place a doom on the starting location and that to me it's almost more what the investigator's afraid of than what <laughs> what's actually happening yeah, you know, yeah maybe you have yeah. less time as and well it, it's but, like you said yeah. it's got this this sense of dread and i yeah. think that that builds into it too and like the the flavors a lot of the story text kind of gives this uh it, it describes some sense of like sentience to the locations almost like the locations are alive so mm-hmm. that that fits mm-hmm. that as well and that well, that really comes through when the second half or the or the, the final act, I guess, where oh, yeah, it yeah. rearranges into a line there, uh, which which is so, so good, good for for many so different good. reasons. Uh, I was <laughs> the one thing I would criticize it. There's there's not a big stone rolling after you at this point, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I think I might have had a boulder in an earlier draft, and I was like, nah, I can't just I can't just do that's too that's too on, <laughs> too the, on nose, the nose, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> but I like one of the reasons I like it is you've you've been trained by the enemies with vengeance earlier on that it is possible just to leave them in the locations and press on and you're mm-hmm. pressing further into this tomb and then you're like, right well we've got we've got the relic and then you realize you've got to get back past everything you've left on your way in right uh including the location where you need the rope yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're there trying to like juggle. Oh, if you stand there, you can help everyone across with the rope, and then then we'll all run. And then someone else needs to land at the end and deal with the enemy that we left there earlier. I think it's it's really clever. I really like how that works. Awesome. Or you just play rogue with I'm out of here. Oh yeah. Elusive <laughs> yeah, yeah, as well. Just slip yeah. slip out. Yep. 
Speaking of um, big boulders, though, there was a big boulder in that scenario. In yes. The, in the shape of the Harbinger. Yeah, the Harbinger is the boulder. Yeah. <laughs> the Harbinger is, I think, a fantastic sort of boss en- enemy that we've seen. And new for the game that it's a recurring boss enemy that you have to sort of track your progress beating. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Harbinger. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I really like recurring enemies in, in games, uh, just in general, like in video games, I, I love the enemies that come back. I, like, I'm going to go on a tangent right now, but like Devil May Cry 3 is one of my favorite games and you fight the, the major villain of that game like three times over the course of the game. And I think it really stuck with me for that reason. So mm-hmm. I just kind of like that and I, I like doing that. I've done that in Lord of the Rings before with, uh, Players who've played Lord of the Rings will remember Captain Sahir as like a recurring boss villain. So I wanted to do that again in Arkham, but I thought with the campaign log, we have the opportunity of doing something different where you have this recurring boss and it actually remembers how many hit points it has from the last time Mm. you fought it. I think at the time I was also playing XCOM 2 and XCOM 2 has a similar mechanic where there are these... There are these like really powerful aliens that can show up in the middle of a mission and just wreck your day, and they'll run away after they take a certain amount of damage, but then the next time they show up, they're hurt. Okay, yeah. So I, I, I like that mechanic. I think that's cool. So I wanted to put that into this campaign too, and I thought it was fitting for the the temple to have its own sort of guardian, like almost like the, the mini-boss of the deluxe box, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think it... Po- the Harbinger poses really good questions of players of how do you deal with something that's almost too big to beat down. I mean, some players have gone for the kill, oh, sure. but the Harbinger doesn't have any victory points. It's just Vengeance 5. Yeah, just so, vengeance five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at what point do you want want that Vengeance, that Yig's Fury? You, or, or do you chip away at it? And yeah, I really enjoy that, that sort of... It engenders in the players this feeling of cooperating and working out how they deal with it. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, it's another reason for evasion being so useful because you can just keep evading it. And yeah, yeah, for scares sure. it away. And and if you do manage to kill it early, then it's uh, it's such a breath of uh, it's, it's it's such a breath of relief later on when you get to the later mm. scenarios and it's like if the harbinger is still alive and you're like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a huge investment of resources to kill oh, yeah. it, definitely, uh, or, or to you know to do damage beyond what you need just to make it slink away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've really got to think about whether it's worth it. And in a way, nearly killing it is way worse because you've spent a lot of time and effort getting it up to, what is it, is it 10i? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah getting it up to how, yeah. However, however much, you know. And, you know, that could have been better spent helping you succeed at the scenarios. Yeah, possibly. It really kind of depends on, you know, which investigators you're playing. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're if you're playing yeah. Finn, it's like, well, I'm just going to spend two free actions evading it. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, good old. Thing. Yeah, and I think as Ursula, I ended up just doing that as well. You know, she's got the agility. Oh, for, for it. sure. Yeah, definitely. Not, not free, but just <laughs> big snake, run away. Yeah. <laughs> Any snake, run away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you touched on it already. This is something I really enjoyed about this deluxe and moving into the next scenario was that you could your investigators could be killed by the end of the deluxe, but the story could go on without them. For sure. And it felt like the campaign also has a sort of a reset at this point where we go back to Arkham. And I think it's no exaggeration to say that it's probably many people in the community's top three scenario, Threads of Fate, if not number one, like incredible use of the game and all of its different mechanics to 
really challenge the players and things like that. How did you even begin <laughs> to do three act decks and throw it out there? So I think this this is probably the scenario that required the most. Um, uh, well, obviously the most writing, the most like story writing, but I think it <laughs> yeah, I think it went yeah. through the most revisions as well. I remember when I outlined the campaign, I had very specific ideas for most of these scenarios, but for Threads of Fate, I just wrote something like, "We're back in Arkham and stuff is bad." Like, it, like I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen. I knew I wanted, like, I knew I wanted the relic to get stolen. I knew I wanted Alejandro to go missing. Those were like story beats that I think were important. I knew I wanted each mm-hmm. Taka to show back up again, but you know I didn't quite know how those three disparate elements would would like stack up and um i i realized i hadn't done like a branching narrative i mean i've done a branching narrative but i haven't done like a branching act deck um very Mm. often so i thought what if i did like the most branching act deck i could ever possibly do like how how many cards would that occupy and i was thinking about it and as i was thinking about it i realized i can revisit previous locations if we're back in arkham i don't have to make new locations and i can also use the back of cards and i basically i I sat down like a mad scientist with this whiteboard that we have in the card game department and i mapped out like how many cards it would take and at the end of it i turned to uh jeremy uh who sits right next to me jeremy's uh one of the developers on star wars destiny and also one of the playtesters for arkham and I, i said hey jeremy how would you feel if you were a customer and you opened up a uh, Arkham pack and there were 24 act cards? <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and he was like, do it. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I was hoping you'd say something like, Hey Jeremy, how would you feel if I opened a pack and it had 300 cards in it? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I, I think it turned out really well. I mean, the, the one thing I was worried about was when you have that many interactions, you have this like web of, branching paths it's very easy for one word to be wrong on a card and then the whole thing falls apart Mm. so i had to be really mindful of that and we probably play tested this scenario more than most of the other scenarios for that reason just to make sure that no matter a the narrative made sense no matter what like route you took and b nothing like nothing just like fell apart and stopped working so i've i've don't know how many times I've played this scenario and I still haven't seen yeah, yeah. the stories on it. it I, I love it so much. It's, it was one of my most, one of the most fun ones to play um, in this in the times I've been through it. Um, I've loved it every single awesome. time. I was saying, we, we had a mailbag episode last episode and we talked a bit about our thematic experiences. And one of my favourite ones in this cycle was from this scenario, which was we were, we were just working our way around the map. I think we were because Alejandro had been picked up by the monster, mm-hmm. which was flying him around in circles. <laughs> and we were sort of staying on the opposite side of Arkham to that. Mm-hmm. And we went into the, the curiosity shop, and I just found all the clues there, because there was Ursula, and she's good at finding clues. And then later on, the the relic spawns at the shop, but then gets attached to you, mm-hmm. and there's no clues there. So, But we'd already found all the clues. So it was just like Ursula was like, oh yeah, no, I found that <laughs> relic when we were in the shop and I picked it up because it looked like it might be useful. That's funny. Uh, which was which was a, a lovely little <laughs> moment. It was almost like, it was like a, yeah, yeah, like side yeah. quests. I, I, you know? I kind of wanted it to feel like, um, like you're, you're back playing the Arkham board game. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're just in Arkham yeah. and like, where do you want to go? You know, there, you've got these different tasks and you know, you know, you have a little bit of guidance from the deck, but otherwise you're kind of free to 
go whatever, do whatever you want. Also, uh, did you when you went back and played it after knowing everything that you know about the campaign now? Did you um, did you kind of catch like all the all the stuff about Alejandro? Like he's not really missing. You know what I mean? Do you know that? Do you know as that? in sort of meeting the government agents and things like that? Yeah, like well, so like it was a fine line to tread writing it, but I kind of wanted to give a little bit of impression that we think Alejandro's kidnapped, but really he's just like off with his cultist buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got I got something like that because I also had a very fun experience with this scenario a week ago or something like that, where we had Henry DeVoe to interview to find out where Alejandro was Mm -hmm. and because we didn't know which version whether we'd get the enemy or not (laughs) I was being really cautious and so I was playing as Finn and I the relic was in the town hall I popped into the town hall got the clues got the relic and then meanwhile Leo went to interview Henry DeVoe interviewed him and it wasn't the bad version of him mm-hmm. which meant that alejandro appeared in the town hall <laughs> and so i finn then went back into the town hall to get alejandro and there was this great like just in terms of story moment i just loved the idea of the thief essentially running in stealing the expensive thing and not noticing <laughs> that the person they were looking for yeah. was also there and then having to like we we met up in in downtown and there was a little moment of Leo clearly saying to Finn, yeah. and like, and you picked up Alejandro too, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Finn, Finn's like, I, yeah. I figured out where Alejandro is, and it's like, where? The town hall. Ah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I especially like the, I, I don't remember exactly which one this is, but I especially like the one where you're looking for Alejandro, and he's somewhere, and you walk in, and he's like not tied up or anything. And he's like, oh, Mm -hmm. uh, thank goodness you're here. You've found me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Or if you're playing with my very suspicious friend, Mm -hmm. they just refuse to do any of the Alejandro act. Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah. You sure you don't want to save him? No, I don't like that guy. (laughs) Well, there's just one last thing. In Roundup for Threads of Fate, you Mm -hmm. do we have an opportunity to spend some experience to heal some trauma. Yeah, yeah. Which which is really interesting. But a lot of people have asked or they've put house rules in place as to sure. uh, how, how to do that. But I, I quite liked it. I thought it was, you can pay to experience to get cured of poisoned as mm-hmm. well, which is nice. I sort of like that. It gave it more of an RPG-like yeah, feel to it. Yeah, I could see that. I kind of just, I, I mostly put it in there as a sort of, reaction to or addendum to the amount of trauma that was given out in the first two (laughs) scenarios like if you didn't uh retire those investigators or get those investigators killed and you're coming in with the new or with the same investigators you're you're kind of in a in a rough place Mm, so yeah yeah and it only gets rougher in the boundary (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh, my experience of playing this scenario was that i found it hard but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool to have traveling through time and to see Explore work in a different way where it was replacing where you were rather than creating new locations and things like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I found found it difficult, but I, I kind of enjoyed it my first three playthroughs. And then I saw members of the community getting very vocal about how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. How much were you aware of the community reacting to this scenario? And... Is it a case of having to step back from the community a bit and going, that one's not landed like I wanted it to? 
Uh, I mean, a little, a little bit of both. Like I, I'm very much aware, uh, like I, I listen to pretty much all the podcasts out there and read all the blog posts and I'll, <laughs> I'm always watching you guys on Facebook. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't read everything, but it, it's pretty easy to tell that people found the scenario really difficult to, to a certain extent that was intentional because it is, like I said before, a do as, as well as you can sort of scenario and, with those particular types of scenarios, it's really important, I think, that they are tougher than your average scenario, mm. because the second that you get, like, all six or all five or whatever, however many the number is, your desire to go back and replay it, I think, is a lot lower. Yeah, you've got you know that I mean? feeling of so, completion, right? Right, you're like, I, I did it, I've done everything there is to do, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. And I do want the campaign to be very replayable so if you go in and you only get one don't feel like you failed feel like you you did it you got one now try again and try to get two you know mm. what i mean mm. um, and I, I think that the average is probably like two to three mm. yeah and that's that's like intentional like i i don't think if you got five then like kudos right like that's that's really really good it's it's not quite like midnight masks where midnight masks i think the average is probably closer to three or four so maybe maybe that's another point of like maybe i shouldn't have had the number be six because <laughs> it it invites immediate comparison to the midnight masks you know what i mean yeah yeah that's possible yeah. but uh in any event yeah it's uh i'm definitely aware of what how people felt about this uh, scenario I feel like there was a lot of ground to cover in this scenario as well, which mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a criticism, but there's like, we're meeting a new character, Padma Rita, right. but also we're discovering some of Ichtaka's powers. There's a, an interlude before it and an interlude after it. There's like quite a lot of story going on here to, to kind of kick us into the second half of the, the campaign. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe there's something going on there as well. Peter, you like this one as well, right? Yeah, I, I, I like this scenario a lot. I, I don't know why people people disliked it so much. I think it, it does... There is a lot going on. I I know what a lot of people have said is that they felt the, the communication of what you're expected yeah, to yeah. do uh, led them to think that when they completed it with one, you know, they just had a terrible time and it was almost impossible to, to, to complete yeah. satisfactorily. But I guess, you know, for, for me personally, I've, I've never really had that i mean and we actually didn't do too badly in the first shot at it although as discussed with prank um some time ago um we made a few errors when we were setting <laughs> it up it's the, the the one this cycle that we we kind of cocked up our setup of so i don't know whether that puts an asterisk next to our, our first campaign <laughs> or not <laughs> but yeah and, and i've played again since and it's 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 fine i just think you, you know, you, if you know what you're expecting, maybe it's a lot better. I, I also think that uh, this is the scenario where the exploration mechanic is, I think, the harshest that it, mm. that it ever will be. Yeah. Because um, not only do you not only do you have treacheries in the deck, and the there's less of the target locations that you're looking for, but also each of the each of the locations has a bad thing you have to do in order to explore. Yeah, yeah, and some of yeah. the, some of them are pretty harsh. Uh, so I think that that's probably like the the moment that made it that pushed it into that level of difficulty. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and then some of the when revealed effects as well <laughs> of the locations. Oh, yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, it's important to note. I think that this is one of the this is one of the scenarios where early earlier in playtesting it was too easy, and I think that would have been a lot worse if it had ended up being like, oh, the boundary beyond. Yeah, it's a cool theme, but I get six every time, so it's like, why even bother? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And that was that was the level that it was at one point where it was just it was just too easy. Everyone was everyone was getting five or six, and if you're getting five or six, and then you move into Heart of the Elders, you're skipping part one, so it's like. It's almost like, what's the point, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, I'd, I would much rather err on the side of it being too hard than err on the side of it being too easy, especially in a cooperative game. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to make it harder. <laughs> and the idea of the, the time shattering like it does in, in Boundary Beyond mm-hmm. and these pockets of, of different time periods opening up is kind of key to the rest of the cycle as well. Yeah. So if yeah. there was anyone you, you would want any of the scenarios you would want someone to to you know not absolutely ace it would probably be this one because it gives you that drive to heal things later on in yeah, the campaign sure yeah. absolutely i can only speak personally but i'm grateful if you are on the side of harder rather than easier because i think as someone who's going to replay the game a lot i would prefer to be challenged you know it's the same with the roguelike games i play and things like that you want them to be tough <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Heart of yeah. the Elders, and, and we've we talked about it a bit as well. That this is sort of Untamed Wilds and Doom of Esdly part deux. Um How <laughs> worried were you about them just feeling exactly the same as their predecessors? And how much did you, how much work did you put into sort of distinguishing them? Uh, I think my first draft was a lot. They were a lot closer to the first two scenarios, so I, I kind of. Uh, a lot of what I did after my first draft was try to push them away, but you know, I wanted to keep the same feeling like it's the same jungle. Obviously the locations in part two are different, but mm. the mechanics are very similar. So, but the, the first draft, they were very uh, similar. So yeah, I did a lot of work to try to push the objectives to be different part one in particular with the pillars and that, that whole kind of puzzle, like you're going out into the jungle, but then you're coming back to this sort of like central location. Yeah. Mm. That put me in mind of it. It's like a Tomb Raider type thing. Yeah, pillars and bit. things you need to unlock it. Yeah, or or like um, really any old school first person shooter like Doom, where you you have all these keys that you have to go out and collect. Um, the blue key, the, same, the red but... key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Also, the winged serpent adds a, a different layer to part one than Untamed Wilds didn't really have of like this this creature that's just following you that you can't you have no way of dealing with aside from evading yeah yeah i, I like that as well it, it, it nailed another one of those key themes of the cycle which was mm-hmm. that often running away from something is far better than than making things worse by killing yeah. it yeah making things worse by trying to kill it and failing yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm i'm fond of these two i feel like at this point if you've got over the hump of boundary beyond in terms of difficulty, not in terms of enjoyment, like the, mm-hmm. I I have come into Heart of the Elders feeling a bit more powered up and ready to tackle the jungle again with the extra XP in my deck and hopefully not too much trauma and it feels really good. I felt like from here to the end, that these are all highlights to me. All of these scenarios, I really <laughs> really like all of the rest of these. So so yeah, and chief among them, City of Archives. <laughs> we Peter and I have talked a lot to each other about this scenario. It's like a standalone that you've inserted 
into the <laughs> campaign and certainly for me feeling like I had to relearn how to use an investigator just as mm. they're trying to relearn how to use their body it merged a hundred percent brilliantly so yeah awesome. it was yeah fantastic um how hard was it to make sure that all of the investigators could still mostly work <laughs> yeah i so originally the the body of a yippian was just like basically blank they're effectively just like two 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 twos and i was uh i was thinking well you know the icons in your deck could differentiate the different decks if you're if you're like leo anderson and then you <clears throat> go into the body of the Yithian, you're going to have a lot of combat and will icons or whatever. Mm. And uh, if you're a mystic, you're just going to have lots and lots of will icons. So I was hoping that that would sort of carry forth. And uh, I think to a certain extent it did. Uh, also in an earlier draft, you couldn't play items at all, like throughout the entirety of the campaign or the scenario. But that was just not fun. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so I changed that, that sounds hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So adding that that ability to like double all the icons on a card was crucial i think to allowing the different you know yithian a and yithian b and yithian c to all feel different from one another mm-hmm. while still having like the same text on them yeah so that your, your deck still matters as far as you know going th- like i went through each of the investigators and i thought okay how does this impact this investigator okay a lot or okay not that much and yeah, there are a couple investigators in particular that it impacts more than others, like Lola and Calvin. But uh, ultimately, I thought, you know, it's one scenario and then it's done, right? So yeah, yeah. or is it? <laughs> yeah, or oh, then you're stuck forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you're stuck forever. Yeah, my Agnes solo deck ended up as a Yidian after oh, no. this point, and that <laughs> yeah, I'd really battled my way through. You know, all of these, all of all of the spells are not so good when your willpower is two instead of <laughs> instead of five. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Don't don't let the process backfire, guys. Yeah, it's yeah. really bad. Um, but yeah, I uh, I think this is probably my I want to say it's my second favorite in the in the campaign. I just love how much of a turn it is from the the rest of the scenarios. Like you're really not expecting. Like if there's any one scenario, I wish we didn't have to like announce how do i explain this yeah yeah like obviously we have to right because like pre-orders and marketing right yeah like marketing would kill me if i was like hey could you not announce this scenario? <laughs> yeah. but um if there's any one scenario i wish we could just surprise release it'd be this one mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah because it's just so you you get to the end of heart of the elders and you're thinking okay what's gonna happen next i i kind of like hope that there's people out there who are going into this cycle so completely blind that they don't even uh, know what, you know, the names of the scenarios are going to be. And then they go into this one and they, they're just hit with uh, all of this from out of the blue. I think that'd be awesome. That's going to happen in the future where people aren't keeping up and refreshing the FFG home yeah, yeah. every day. Yeah. Uh, so in the future, people are going to come across this and just be blown away by what's just happened. Yeah, or if you have friends that, you know, play Arkham but haven't played this campaign yet and don't know what's what's going to happen and you want to sit mm. down and play with them, definitely. I have a couple of friends. <laughs> I'm really excited exactly for that reason. It's going to be nice. it's going to be so good. Um nice. How did you feel about including the agents of Yogg-Sothoth again? I mean, I know because it's Yidians that they were an easy fit. Mhm. I I think that was basically it. It was like 
Well, if I'm going to have Yithians, I, I feel like putting these guys in makes sense. Also, the nature of the cards in that set, I think, fit particularly well in uh, that scenario because it's all about managing your hand size mm, and mm. offer of power is... Hey, do you want some cards? And you're like, yeah, I want some cards. I need cards to win. Yeah. <laughs> and there's almost something seductive in the cycle that that you could you could live happily as a Yithian as well. Yes, yes. So, that was so the, the part offer of, it of power yeah. works really, really well. Yeah. I, I most like this because it, it was just it made me use my deck in a totally different way to what mm -hmm. I, I use. And those icons became far more important than the cards they were attached to. Right. And I had to be selective about what I was playing. I think I said this on our cast a while ago. It reminded me when you play Netrunner as the runner, your hand mm. is your life points. Mm. So yeah. if they get as as you could take damage, your the cards in your hand get taken away. So you have to make sure you've got a certain number in your hand mm -hmm. to stay alive. And when you're playing against yeah. when you're playing against people who do a lot of damage, you look at the cards in your hand more as ways of staying alive than you do as you know, cards to play and help you win. So there's a, there's a balance to be struck there. And it really reminded me of that, where I'm mm -hmm. considering far more, you know, the icons of that card, what can I use this for? What tests can I pass with this rather than playing it? I also like, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the, the final objective of this scenario. I think it's kind of cool. Like I, I'm always, you know, trying to keep in my mind the finale of every particular scenario. Like some scenarios are just going to be like, get to point B. Some scenarios is going to be kill this guy some scenarios it's going to be find all the clues in this particular location mm -hmm. or you know just run away resign right and with this one like none of those really fit and i was i struggled for a while i think to think of what the objective could be like i didn't want it to just be get a certain amount of clues you win because we've done that before mm -hmm. so yeah and in the end I, I thought oh what if you know you have to expand your mind right and what if that is represented through cards and that fit like that all of a sudden everything made sense and it's just like yep get a bunch of cards in your hand we didn't mark this here but speaking of mm -hmm. cards the pendant the useless pendant yeah. <laughs> uh, the double bluff yeah because <laughs> i remember all the all the dark souls fans when they opened up the deluxe box were thinking ah it's the pendant it's it's from dark souls don't take it it's gonna do nothing <laughs> But but it was exactly the use on the pendant, wasn't it? Doesn't it? Yep. Is it like brings comfort yeah. to travelers far from home, and that's exactly where you are and exactly what you need. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yep. I, I really like that. It was a good double bluff. I spent about two hours making a supercut of all the times that Peter said the pendant wouldn't do anything from previous <laughs> episodes of the, uh, the podcast because right he said it about 16 <laughs> times we did various you know forgotten age things but i, I, I mean you were mostly right like it, it didn't do anything for a long time right <laughs> yeah until it was for very useful five scenarios yeah yeah <laughs> the, the other thing i really liked was so I, as i said ursula and pete was my first playthrough and pete keeps duke but duke gets the yithian subtype <laughs> So yeah. you, you've got like Pete obviously turned into a Yithian, but following at <laughs> his back, he's got he's got a, a, a mini Yithian who's there. I imagine yapping at his heels. <laughs> yeah, so that was that's it's it's interesting that you bring that up because that was something that I was struggling with for a while too. Was the like I knew I wanted to do this scenario and I was gonna do it like kind of no matter what, even if I couldn't get it to work perfectly. But there's so many paradoxical 
questions that come up mm. with the plot of this scenario. Like, how did these allies travel with you? Like, how are you holding that gun? You know, like, <laughs> just <laughs> stuff like that. And, um, <laughs> and in my, in my head, it was like, well, in general, when I'm writing this story for these campaigns, I kind of assume that your allies are, like, around, right? Yeah. Just sort of ambiently. Like, they're not, like, necessarily standing there right next to you, but they're, they're just kind of, like, around. And uh, so if the Ithians body swapped with you, they probably body swapped with them, too. And so there's this, yeah, there's that line on, on the investigator card that just says, like, all of your allies gain the Ithian trade. And it's really there for no reason whatsoever other than explaining, like, why they're yeah. still there. Yeah, yeah. I must admit, it, it's one of the things I love most about Arkham because I mean, you, you know well enough, Matt. There is some really weird thematic interactions that happen. <laughs> oh sure, oh um, sure. And it's part of the beauty of it, just like yeah. the absolute wackiness that this suggests. I've, I've had a good example, actually. Uh, I'll come on to it in the in the last scenario. But in a way, you've never really nailed down the thematic implications of having a deck and then only having cards at a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And it's like Roland's like struggling with all these stuff, and then he only pulls out the forty-five right at the very end. It's like, oh well, if you had it all along, Roland, why weren't you <laughs> using it earlier? Uh, or, or whether allies are literally with you, or whether it's you know the people you know who are providing you kind of inspiration by proxy, and the, and this like it kind of it nailed that down. The other moment like this, I love it. There's a bit where you're, I think it's before, it's between. Threads of Fate and Boundary Beyond. I think it's the beginning of Boundary Beyond mm-hmm. where you're driving to Mexico all in a car. Right, in one car. Yeah, and that's it. And this <laughs> is the idea, like, you know, Ursula's driving and turns around and then there's Pete with a dog on his lap and then there's Milan and there's Eddie <laughs> next to them and then there's Ichitaker and there's, like, it's a seven caravan. other people in the back of the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, to a certain extent, obviously, it's a card game, so there's a lot of abstracted elements and... That's one, like, your deck and your resources are, like, the two most abstracted elements in this game, and you have to sort of play around with the story in your own head and create your own explanation, because we're not going to explain it for you. Like, why did I just play this 45 now? Is it that I had it all along and I only just now chose to take it out and use it, or is it that I didn't have it with me and I just found one? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You can sort of create the narrative that you think makes the most sense at any given moment so maybe dr milan drove with you to mexico or maybe he was there doing his own thing you know yeah and uh and you just bumped into him milan what are you doing here like <laughs> that that sort of thing so and uh you know city of archives is the same way like maybe maybe that beat cop was standing right next to you when you got body swapped and they body swapped him too or maybe there just happens to be a beat cop in the body of a Yithi and also in Narcotis because there's probably a lot of different humans from different time periods there mm-hmm. at any given moment. Yeah. And yeah. you talk to him and he decides to join you as a Yithian. You know, there's all kinds of different explanations that anyone can come up with. And I think that the strength of this game is allowing for all those different explanations to coexist. Yeah. One person's humor is another person's, you know, tragedy or horror as well. So. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, it works really well. And on we go to the depths of Yoth. This, to me, is another campaign highlight, which I've said a lot. I I felt like this feels like the climax to the campaign. And we spoke before the campaign started about 
mm-hmm. how the the challenge of an eight scenario template and how you have right. to have some climaxes at different points in the eight otherwise it's just always going to be the same formula the same march towards a big boss showdown so was it Mm -hmm. deliberate to have yig show up here and make this be the kind of last stand slash the epitome of running away yeah uh, so i i do so it was intentional that yig would show up here that was always part of the outline i actually still view shattered aeons as as the big climax just in terms of like story beats it's like the the moment where everything comes together whereas depths of yoth is sort of it's still just like i get from point a to point b scenario the moment in which it feels climactic is the moment where yig pops out right (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but to me that just that's just yig's role in this story he's not he really isn't the instigator Mm. in this story he's just around and you've been messing with his snakes and like intruding in places that you don't belong. And he's kind of frankly pissed. <laughs> so yeah, he's, he's just here to wreck your day, but he's not necessarily the, the primary like motivating force. That would be Alejandro and each Taka, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like Hasta in Carcosa where right. all roads lead to Hasta. Yeah. Yeah. Or Umordoth in the night of the zealot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I take your point. That being said, this is my favorite scenario in the campaign. Is it? Like, by a long shot. Oh, yeah. I love this scenario. I really enjoy the explore here. I love it. We talked about this when you've done Pallid Mask, and like uh, self-generating mm-hmm. maps. And I love that you get you know, four different floors in this scenario. Each one can be completely different or they can all be the same. Explore feels like a real lottery, but maybe doesn't have the same punishing effect to it Uh, yeah it's great sure yeah this was another one that like the pallid mask it took me a really long time to uh to to get it to work you know precisely where it like it was important that at each floor a you could get to steps of yoth right (laughs) no matter what uh b there were no like dead ends or there were dead ends but there's no like um there's no moment in which you can't see every single location in the deck. Yeah. You may have to like maneuver around to get to the location that's linked to it, but there's always going to be the way, the way it's, uh, the way it's mapped out. There's always going to be something that connects somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that was honestly very tough. Like that was, uh, the hardest part about designing this scenario, but, uh, math, it helps. (laughs) You would have enjoyed a recent playthrough. A couple of friends of mine, one chap likes to position the location so that they're near the ones that they link to. And sure. in yeah. Deaths of Yoth, that starts to get really, <laughs> like we needed a th- a, a, an extra tier on the table for the like the little <laughs> roots over the top. Like, yeah, there was, a, there was a really good moment where we were being chased by a lot of enemies and trying to work out who could stand where to not get hit, but also to like keep the gap between us all long enough that they didn't sort of block us it was really fun yeah really good it, it helps uh my advice on that front if you're listening and, and you're you're gonna play the scenario more which i'd hope you would is um do work out all the connections each time a new location enters play mm. don't just like put them in a row and then try to figure it out later because you're gonna have a, a a rougher time if you have two locations in play and you add a third one immediately look like okay does this link to just the one i'm exploring from or does it link to that first one too if so i'll put them in a triangle you know that sort of thing 
I think this is one of the ones where I tried to set up the map uh, after playing it. Yeah, you can't, uh, and it, you can't. <laughs> you can't. It's impossible. But it's the, the problem actually is actually physically impossible. I didn't know it was physically impossible <laughs> when I started trying to do it. <laughs> yeah, because it's very different from the jungle, right? Yeah, the jungle yeah, is like here's yeah. this place, and you have to sort of map it out in your head. And Depths of Yoth is like it's it's more like a procedurally generated dungeon. Mm. Like that's what it's meant to be. Yeah. I was kind of inspired by the the original Diablo. Yeah. Ah, yeah. That. Okay, yes, yes. I can see yeah. that. Yep. And uh, that's why I love the standalone version of this as well. Yeah, <laughs> how low can you go? Yeah. 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 I don't know if I've said to you before, but I'm a huge fan of this game, Brogue, which it's, it's a... Yeah, a, oh, yeah. And that as well is procedurally generated. And you can go... You need to go down to the 26th depth and get the Amulet of Yendor and return it to the top depth and each floor gets darker which is great like it has light effects but you can go deeper than 26 mm-hmm. as well you can keep going and collect these lumen stones deeper down and yeah it's just it's just very similar i've played hundreds of hours of brogue i love it it's really like satisfying conundrum game and yeah yeah this hit hit those beats rogue uh, that game basically created its own genre. Yeah, and this game is called Brogue with a B at the start. Oh, Brogue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, it's okay. it's basically uh, it's it's Rogue, but you're a bro. Yeah, no, it's like I think it's meant to be like B Rogue, but oh, I just okay. say Brogue. I mean, for me, that's a shoe anyway. So, but yeah, it's it's taken all of the beats from Rogue basically in terms of what right. you're trying to do, but it's yeah slightly more modern. It's fantastic. The idea of depth and a, and a weight of earth above you, I always find like we find that scary. Like a, the, yeah. the the horror film, The Descent, is a is a is a really good horror film. But there's that because you know they go caving and they get lost when they're caving, and I always find that really scary. This idea of them being trapped under a huge a, a mound of earth above them. Yeah, that's one of my phobias. So I kind of tapped into that too. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also like that. Um depending on how angry Yig is, the scenario's difficulty wildly changes. Mm. Mm. For some investigators, this will be the hardest scenario in the campaign, even like way harder than Boundary Beyond. But for other investigators, it might be a breeze because they've, you know, Yig's not really that mad at them. So you can stay ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I thought so too, as well. Reading that setup instruction, where you have to look how much experience you have and you're losing all of these agendas. It's, yeah, it's great. <laughs> you mentioned that Shattered Eons is the sort of, it's the real, the, the climax. And mm-hmm. I felt like it. this was a finale in that all of the different branches were reaching some kind of an end. And right. there were so many different elements coming home to roost. How important was it to have a finale that was like this with Alejandro turning up as an enemy and Ichitaka turning up as an enemy? I think it was very important. I mean, it was sort of the plan from the very beginning with these two characters. I We had done three campaigns, Night of the Zealot, Dunwich, and Carcosa, that all had uh, an ancient one as the final boss, right? Mm-hmm. For lack of a better term. And I wanted this campaign to feel different. I, I didn't want it to be Yig at the very end. Because um, going back and looking at the story, it's like, yeah, he he's not he's not really like the the villain, mm. you know. He's just he's just this this primal force that just happens to be here. The the true villain are are these two, and you know, actually not necessarily both, but whichever one that you've been antagonizing, I guess. 
Mm. Or or possibly both. Yes. <laughs> depending on your choices. Yeah. 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 So uh, I I think it was uh, important that uh, that that be the case. That you know it feels like you're up against uh, like a sentient person with desires and feelings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do, I do know what you yeah. mean, and it, it does feel personal by the end. It's, yeah, it is yeah. like the, yeah. a proper showdown. And I, I think the, the moment of truth was when I added the parlay ability on them <laughs> and the yeah. text on the other side. Like, that wasn't there originally. They were just, you know, you would just fight them, but it humanizes them, you know, having, having the ability to actually chat with them and see what they're trying to do and why. Yeah, and it, it, it keeps their motives in the scenario. Yeah, when I because we've only played this once, and mm-hmm. when Alejandro appeared, I mean he's he's an absolute beast, and we straight away was like, right, okay, well we'll we'll, we'll try and parley with him first of all, um, and then we so we did, we flipped him over the side, and in the end we decided, well we can't go along with that, so we're gonna have to kill him. So uh, <laughs> yeah, in, in a way it was it was a waste of time parleying with him because we just killed him anyway, and we suspected that would be the case, but mm-hmm. we just wanted to see what it what he would say. Yeah. Before well, we, it, before if we... I remember correctly, it does evade him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you yes. successfully parlay, so it's not a complete waste. It's like one action to evade, basically. But it's harder to do mm. than. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And when I last played this, we had one shattered location out, which was Velusia, and Ichtaka yeah. came out, <laughs> and we parlayed her, and then it was like okay the the one place we know about through time we've already seen and know how this works and we could we could finish this way we had quite a long discussion about we suddenly realized that the snakes were our friends all along and we should have been supporting <laughs> them yeah. yeah yeah and it was important to me that those resolutions aren't necessarily bad like they're, yeah, they're not yeah. like uh, obviously, you're like kind of betraying mankind by doing that and humanity, but you know it's not like the world ended. The the world just changed. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you've got that theme on this in the whole campaign, which right. is that uh, humanity's like a relatively short period of time on yeah. Earth. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and 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 that even in our world, that's that's true. Even in reality, that's true. But here, it's like we had there's snakes and there's aliens and there's all these other competing groups of sentient species. Uh, and we're not necessarily the most important of all those. Mm. So it might well be from someone else's point of view, uh, mm-hmm. this is the happy ending. Yeah, yeah. And actually, before I forget, uh, since we're sort of already ta- talking about those endings, uh, one of the things that I like to do is create titles that are they have double meanings or triple meanings and the forgotten age is one of those. Mm. And if you're, if you're doing that ending, then the forgotten age is the age of humanity. Hmm. Like it no longer exists anymore. The only person who remembers them is you. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's neat. Or not remembers if you're Norman and your mind (laughs) is going. Yeah. (laughs) This was a good, opportunity for you matt to to drop in some lovecraftian easter eggs as well oh sure so all, the, all those <laughs> those uh other locations are all i think there's moo show up and uh atlantis and all these other places oh yeah yeah it, it's cool because um it's sort of similar to lost in time and space in concept where you're kind of traveling to these extra dimensional locations but unlike lost in time and space lost in time and space is sort of takes place outside of like ordered time right it's like 
these alien weird locations that don't even make sense with this it was more like all right i can i can do literally anything right like it could be <laughs> it could be whatever i want you know so I, I i wrote down like a bunch of different ones but ultimately i i stuck to a lot of different sort of ancient forgotten lost civilizations mm -hmm. because i think that speaks to the uh themes of the campaign so yeah like you said atlantis uh Mu, and then uh my my personal favorite, the ruins of New York City. Yeah, yeah, I I love that. I, I I'd recently yeah. been to see Escape from New York at the cinema, actually, and it was nice. that was fresh in my mind. But um, what I like, what I especially liked, was when again I've only played once, and I was it was Ursula I was playing as. The top card of her deck got turned into the polyp, and we oh, cool. uh, Pete killed it, and we were like, well, what do we do with this card? We must just discard it. So right. I moved it into my discard, flipped it over, and it was um, the thing that follows. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, so it, I, I, immediately I thought, oh, well, obviously that's what's destroyed New York without <laughs> Ursula around to stop the thing. Right. It's, it's, it's turned into this enormous flying polyp and destroyed New York. That's funny. <laughs> it's a great detail. I loved the locations really are like windows into different. They could almost all be their own campaigns as well. There's that sense of yeah. seeing little spots of, you know, because there's a Rillier is one of them as well, isn't it? Am I remembering right? And Yogoth, you're thinking like, oh, we I could go so. to these yeah, places. Yeah. Very, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, yeah. Very exciting. It's 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 funny that you uh, it's funny that you call them windows because there's that one location that sort of shows them that way. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like yeah. It, it's a them. common trope. You, you see it in films and things where you've got like the hall, which has all of the the kind of glowing portals on the wall that lead to the different yeah time yeah. periods. I, I love that. Yeah, but that's not the end of the campaign because there's also a secret scenario, which <laughs> feels like that classic adventure film epilogue that you might get where you have to mm -hmm. the whole journey was about returning it so that things didn't get messed up and yeah at what point did you decide that this was actually a i suppose 10 scenario campaign if you count both parts of heart of the elders um, yeah i guess so yeah when did you pick that there was going to be this it was actually something that i added pretty late um it, it wasn't in the original outline i was just thinking like well we have this campaign where we're playing with time and the flow of time. And I think at a certain point I decided to have that, that originally it was, you chose between Ichitaka and Alejandro and that was it. Right. Mm. But as I was toying around more with the narrative, I realized that uh, it would be cool if there was a route where you could choose neither. And at first, the only reason to do so was just to make it harder. Yeah. Like I don't trust either of these people. I don't want either of their help. Just go away, please. I want to do this on my own. And then I thought, well, okay, it should still be harder, but there should be some kind of narrative reward for doing that. Because ultimately, if, if you do that, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, the, both of them were using you or manipulating you in different ways or villainous in their, own, in their own ways. So, and I thought it would be cool if the only way that you could really learn how the relic works, the only way that you could really, like, unlock its secrets is if you're doing it on your own mm, yeah and that led to the idea of okay we'll go back to an earlier scenario and it will be like the i don't want to say the proper climax because it's not um like it, it really is like a like a bonus you know what i mean 
Yeah. It's not like the like if you didn't do this, don't feel like you didn't get the true ending. It's not the true ending. It's more just like an extra bonus ending. Mm. But it was so much fun going back and writing the the flavor text of like the the revisit to the the Doom of Etsley Redux or whatever with the knowledge that the characters have and I love the bonus uh resolution epilogue that happens after that. Just yeah, just, just yeah, the, it yeah. <laughs> it shows off the power as well of the of the game system that you can have you can just change an act deck and a scenario card yeah, and that's true pull in some different cards and that's that's all it takes to like reskin a scenario it's really yeah it's really impressive yeah and it, it was hard too because obviously shattered aeons takes up a lot of cards yeah. in that pack so i was i wasn't even sure if i could do it with like four cards i'm like how do i make a whole new scenario with four cards um but ultimately it you know it, it worked because it pulls all the cards from the previous scenario. It pulls Yig out from Depths of Yoth yeah. and drops him in there. Um, yeah, if you haven't played it yet, it's uh, it's fun because you're, you're also like really high level at that point. You know, especially if you've been keeping the same character all throughout the entire campaign. You're, you're like in the high 30s or maybe even 40s in terms of experience. So yeah. you go back to this uh, the second scenario of the campaign and hopefully you're kind of stomping on it. And wreck it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I must admit, I'm tempted to do it, even though I didn't get that ending. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted just to set it up. Of course, I could just play the right way back through for the aim of getting that ending, but I just want to see how well Ursula can crush it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, it does. It, it is still tough because the final act. You know, just in case I won't spoil it. Uh, just in case you're listening and you haven't done this one particular, because I, I think it, probably a very low percentage of people have played this uh, bonus scenario. But the final act does throw throw you uh it's it's quite different mm. yeah well thanks matt congratulations as well i think it's worth acknowledging that you've taken the game in such a different direction and provided so many new challenges to the community and yeah just going through all the scenarios again there are so many highlights for me it's really fun to talk to you about it awesome. yeah thank, thank you, you. <laughs> so, yeah and, and, and i've i think most people were surprised when we got the initial announcement of the cycle because uh, as, as we've said in the past, there was all this idea that you know you'd be following the order of the gods <laughs> in the in those encounter sets in the original in the core set, uh, and then suddenly we're in the jungle. Uh, so yeah. it was a departure from what a lot of people were expecting, and I really like the idea that you know we'll you know we'll, we'll reach a point in a few cycles time where we look back and there's like someone says to you, "Which cycle should I play? I'm just getting into this new card game, Arkham," and you can say, "Well, what kind of experience do you want?" Right. There's a different. There's a cycle right. that suits your different styles of play. That is that is one hundred percent the goal. Like, there's so many different stories that can be told with this setting, and I think a lot of people when they when they think about Lovecraftian horror, they they kind of like think of the 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 two or three kind of like most um what's the word, I guess most popular uh stories. But there's so much, there's so many other stories that can be told using this system, and honestly, I want to tell all of them. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good to hear. Yeah, one of the other stories that you can tell using the system is about witches, I guess, and occult in Arkham. <laughs> nice, nice segue. Nice segue. <laughs> Nailed it, Peter. That was so good. Nailed it. <laughs> I, th- I thought that was good. So yeah, th- what we've asked you in the past, Matt aware mm-hmm. that you can't answer specific questions about what's going to happen right. we're really keen to understand what's inspiring you 
for the next cycle. And sure. if people want to get themselves in the mood, what TV, films, books, and music should they be should they be uh, engaging with? Uh, so let's see. In terms of Lovecraftian stories, obviously, if you've been reading the previews and you kind of know a little bit about what's in store, Dreams in the Witch House is a good story to read. It'll kind of get you into the mood. Not that the events in the campaign are going to like emulate that perfectly, but just the for like a mood board, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But also, uh, there's a lot of other source material that we drew upon for this story. Um, I think this more than any of the other scenarios or campaigns. If you watch more kind of modern horror, like ghost stories and stuff that um, like not slasher flicks, but like more modern ghost and witch related or like witchcraft related movies, I think wouldn't be a bad thing to watch to like get in the mood. I can't name any off the top of my head, but if you kind of get what I'm what I'm saying, what like things like uh, I don't know what you call it modern, but like the craft or stuff like that. Mm, or are we talking about not more so much the craft? So so like witches are. I, I talk about this in the design notes for the Circle Undone, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But like witches are a tricky subject because witchcraft is a real thing in real life at Wicca, and it's not anything like Lovecraft witchcraft, right? It's mm-hmm. Lovecraft's witches are essentially the 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 witches, the tropey witches from the Salem witch trials, like fully realized. Yeah, like actual, you know, Satan worshippers or what have you. And that's not really the tone that we're going for, so I would stay away from that sort of thing. But I guess ghost stories and gothic horror. Yeah. If if you know what I mean by gothic horror, anything that that draws on like curses from the past or the past in general, like the secrets of the past as a primary motivating thing will probably fit in really well with the circle undone. Oh, that's, that sounds really exciting. Uh, really? I mean, so. I, I think <laughs> th- there's been a, a big boom, I guess, in the past few years. The, we've just got Sabrina on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 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 kind of reboot of that, the Chilling Adventures. Although they're they're definitely Satan worshippers in that, so yeah. <laughs> stay away from that, I guess. And then <laughs> you know, there's there's all the other horror stories uh, that you're seeing, like the the kind of the Riverdale, which is pulling a lot of inspiration from horror series, mm-hmm. an American Horror Story, all that kind of stuff. Mm. I haven't seen uh, those two, but American Horror Story is probably a, a good. Uh, at least the first season might be a good. A, a good source of inspiration not Although for me personally the... but like if you were to yeah. read it, if you were to watch it i mean it, it's well we love it it's um it's <laughs> camp and mad um, <laughs> generally <laughs> so maybe it doesn't strike the gothic tone but uh yeah yeah there's lots of but also keep it. in mind as you've seen with the forgotten age i'm not gonna be telling you like what sources might lead to any kind of twist so mm. yeah we'll see. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um influence from a different place you i know that you played call of cthulhu the card game how much has playing that faction the silver twilight lodge and their sort of good and bad and sacrifice abilities has that had any influence Mm -hmm. on the circle undone oh absolutely i mean it's important so i've mentioned this before but the arkham we have an arkham story group in Mm, yeah ffg the internal group and uh it's important to us that the silver twilight uh lodge is not just villainous you know like they they have some sinister connotations and they have some sinister means but ultimately they're not 
against humanity. They're on the side of humanity. They just have a different, you know, way of doing things. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I think that uh, players will be happy to see how they're represented in this cycle because they're not. You you can kind of ascribe the meaning that you see to them. Like if if you think that they're villainous, they're gonna look really villainous. And if you think that they're not, then who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you're crazy. Yeah. No, it, you may you may even get to side with them. We'll see. Oh, okay. Excited. Dun, dun, dun. Diana Stanley could get like, back in the cult, having been <laughs> get back in the cult. Yeah. I mean, we've done that before in other in a board game as well with uh, Arkham Third Edition. If you've played the scenario that has the Silver Twilight Lodge in that in uh, that uh, okay. game, yeah. No, I haven't tried that yet. Oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. That scenario is fantastic. I, that's probably my favorite scenario in that in that uh, box cool cool yeah i'm really excited for it uh, it feels again like a really big departure from the steaminess of the jungle to get back to kind of the rain swept streets of arkham and yeah, yeah. it's gonna be yeah. it's gonna be great definitely wanted to kind of get the game back to its roots with the cycle and stay in arkham mm. and explore more of the city because honestly arkham is like if anything it's the main character of uh of arkham horror right so yeah there's so much to explore within arkham so many places that we haven't gone yet so many people that we haven't met so many stories that haven't been told so i'm excited to to revisit that as a we as a we yeah peter do you have anything else you'd like to add before we finish mainly just want to thank you matt for taking the time to talk through this uh, campaign with us as always uh, it was a pleasure to play through and we're super excited to see where we go next into this cycle and hopefully many cycles beyond that as well so yeah thanks again awesome thank you it was a pleasure to have uh, to be on the show and yeah i hope you guys uh hope everyone keeps playing i'll keep making them if you keep playing them <laughs> yeah i mean don't That's retire before you've made the guardian patron because right, of course. there's a lot Super of people Frank. in the community calling out for that still, you know. Oh. Uh, a lot of people named Frank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people in my community of one who are calling out for that. Yeah, yeah. I saw there was another Guardian ally announced recently for the Wages of Sin, not called Super Frank. So, Oh, yeah. She's, uh, she's my favorite, too. She looks really cool. And I was I was just thinking of those three characters, Mr. Rook and Henry Wan and Alice Luxley. Just it, when you were mentioning filling out the world, there must be so many other characters that, you know, are waiting to end up on cards. Oh, yeah. And uh, Detective Luxley in particular is one that I really like because she's she's shown up before in Mansions of Madness. Mm. So if you've played Mansions of Madness, you, you might recognize her. And if not, you're you're still like, oh, this character seems really cool. I, I want to know more about her. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's one of the strengths of this IP is that we have these different games. And if you're a fan of one of them and you get into the other game, you start seeing these same elements pop up, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can flesh it, out the it world. Gives you a, yeah. Y- yeah. Y- yeah, you feel like there's a there's a co- cohesive world out there that you're, you're kind of exploring, which is nice. Right, yeah. Henry Wan, as well, is another character from Mansions. And... Uh, Mr. Rook, uh, shout out to Joshua Grace, who's a member of the organized play team at Fantasy Flight. He is the, that is his likeness on that art. Oh, cool. Ah. Cool. Yeah. Always nice to hear about those. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I know our listeners always, you're always a highlight on the podcast. So it's great to have you. Um, <laughs> if people want to get in touch with you, they can email Fantasy Flight Games, right? 
they can yeah they can they can either if they if you, if you have a rules question you can always go through the uh, the rules uh, there's a rules question submission form on our website on our support page or if you just want to email me directly you can my email is out there somewhere and um, you can also find me on Twitter uh, at uh, Natsuno Yoru which is N A T S U N O Y O R U well done sorry for that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah that's about it. Great. You can find us in all the normal places. We're Drawn to the Flame on Facebook and Twitter. We're Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're on Patreon. And yeah, this has gone on quite a long time. So I think we won't do our own sign offs, Peter. And we'll just say <laughs> thanks for listening and bye for now. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I wanted to say my, my cat is flipping out right now. So if you hear her in the background, that's that's what that is. We're well used to cat program uh, cat problems on this podcast, so, so don't worry about it. <laughs>